Benjamin. I don't know where she is right now, probably up in kids' church, but um, you'll see her. She's the black-haired beauty. Yes, I did marry way out of my league, um, but uh, that's what happens when you, um, you, know, you love Jesus. Uh, well, uh, I wanted to do something, although I think many of our students are still probably doing finals and such, but man, if you're about ready to kind of pass on and your, your time at school has come to an end and a major accomplishment is about ready to take place in your life, could you raise your hand if you're graduating? We have maybe a couple, all right, awesome, all right, three. All right, there's a lot more of you. Listen, we, we just wanted to briefly just acknowledge and celebrate uh, this season with you. If you could, could you stand so we could just, one, maybe applaud you one more time for your work. Come on. It's okay, guys, to stand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. And, and then just stay standing. Just stay standing. <laughs> Church, if you could, let's just close our eyes and extend our hands towards these uh, precious people. Uh, Father, we thank you for just the season that these students are in and the major accomplishments, Lord, that they have achieved. And Lord, we know that there's many more, and we'll probably have to do this next Sunday, but today, Lord, we just celebrate these ones standing, God. And Lord, we commission them, God, and we recognize the next season in their life, Lord. We ask, Jesus, that it might be fruitful and flourish, Lord, in various places, in various ways, God. We ask, Lord, that you would use them, Lord, Lord no, matter where, no matter where you send them next, God, I pray that your son Jesus would be glorified through their lives in extraordinary ways in the marketplaces, God, in the workplaces, God, in neighborhoods and cities, God. I pray, Lord, that through their lives, your son Jesus would be seen. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Guys, put your hands together one more time for these awesome students. Um, well, we have a special, well, I, I would say guest, but she's not a guest. I, mean, I know for a lot of you, you may not know her, but um, uh, for, for some, you do. Uh, she's very much part of this community as she's addressed us many times. She actually was, um, we were privileged to have her for our uh, retreat that we did not too long ago. And, and she's here today. This is Bethany's mom, Pastor Marlene. Could you put your heads together for Pastor Marlene? And Pastor Marlene, could you come up? Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Let's, hey, if you're gonna clap, let's commit to it. Awesome, awesome. Ooh, her stuff is flying around here. Well, Pastor Marlene is Bethany's mom. She's actually my mom. It's a long story. We don't need to get into those details um, today. Uh, but she's played a significant role in my life in the development of my faith and my walk with Christ. And I'm so glad that she's here uh, with this church today, uh, bringing God's word to us. Can we pray for ourselves, really, and pray for her, but more so for ourselves, that our ears and our hearts would be open to receive what God has for us today. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this woman. Hi, God, I ask, Lord, that um, in this time, Lord, your presence would be felt and noticed, Lord, that our hearts would be transformed and touched deeply. God, right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, open our ears to hear and open our hearts to receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One more hand for Pastor Marlene. Thanks, Steve. Well, um, so I, I have founded a ministry seven going on eight years ago, actually, eight years now. It's called He Cares For Me, and I was invited to do a weekend of training for the He Cares For Me model, which is all biblical principles. We don't own the model. Jesus owns the model of deliverance and healing. But um, I have written several books that talk about the journey of healing. The first one is Where's God on Tuesday? That's my own personal journey of um, 
facing the demons in my own life, the brokenness in my own life and the pain, and coming through it in a very, um, very difficult, painful way, but nevertheless, Jesus is amazing and he's faithful. Um, the second book I wrote is all about the ministry of deliverance and healing to train the local church, to train believers to do the work of the ministry. Um, whether it's in your family, at your bedtime with your kids, you can minister deliverance and healing. Uh, whether it's in the church, whether it's at your workplace, doesn't matter. You can do this anywhere. It's really so simple, it's mind boggling. Um, my third book, He's Looking for a Donkey to Ride into Your City, is to be a catalyst of deliverance and healing to the land. Also, we have over there many of the transformation videos. I am the New England director for the Transformation Sentinel Group. And uh, these videos, I'm asking you to uh, borrow and return when you're finished to Karen Donovan or Dan Donovan. Um, you can take them, sign them out, but please return them so that we can keep them circulated. These I do buy myself, um, and I don't wanna sell them uh, because I wanna make sure that I get them circulated around. How many of you, and don't raise your hands when I ask those kind of questions, how many of you will say, oh man, uh, yeah, can I borrow that DVD or that, that book and I'll get it back to you, and 12 years later, you find it on your shelf, right? So we don't want that to happen. Yeah, somebody's clapping, that would be you, right? Um, so we don't want that to happen with this material because it is so valuable that to sit on a shelf would be a total waste of the documentaries of what God is doing around the world, bringing deliverance and transformation to the land, to cities and nations. And if you wanna be a part of that, you can read about my journey um, in the book, He's Looking for a Donkey to Ride into Your City. All right, so getting ready for this morning, I want to explain some things to you. We were going to have a weekend of training and it got altered due to circumstances out of our control. So we were actually gonna meet as a team with the core group uh, Friday and Saturday for Hilltop and then I was gonna preach on Sunday morning. So we're doing it a little backwards. So Bethany asked if I would la actually lay the foundation for the ministry time that we have with the core staff so you all get to be here for that and you all get to benefit for it. And then the cool thing is, we're going to offer ministry right after the message for those of you that feel in your heart that the Holy Spirit has directed a specific thing that he's touching in your life today. So I wanna get started, and the title of the message is, Take Your Place. Take your place. Every single one of you has a place that only you can fill. Nobody else can fill it. Do you know there's nobody else on the whole entire planet that has there ever been anybody like you? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are unique. You are beautiful. You are so valuable to God that he sent his only beloved son to die on the cross for you. That's how special that you are. You have a place. You have a place and the enemy works overtime to keep you out of your place because he knows when you're in your place, you're gonna do some serious damage to the kingdom of darkness. You're gonna see the kingdom of God advance when you're in your place. We were created and given authority. So I'm teaching the foundational principles of deliverance and ministry and we're gonna start in the book of Genesis. <laughs> so. Genesis 1, I'm going to read you if you'd like to follow along. We don't have overheads for today because I might skip around a little bit. But Genesis 1, beginning with verse 26 and 31. Genesis 1, 36, excuse me, 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion 
over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. There it is, those words we're not supposed to use today. It's in the book. He created them. Then God blessed them and said, God said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God said in verse 29, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, so it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. So I'm going to give you some definitions. You're all brilliant people here today. I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying you don't know the meaning of the definitions, but I want to tell you, when you look up something, it expands what you know about it. So I'm going to share with you, to subdue means to conquer and bring into subjection, to overpower by superior force, to overcome, to bring under mental or emotional control, as by persuasion or intimidation, render submissive. Man, that opens up the word subdue, doesn't it? Bring it under subjection to overpower by superior force. I think of that scripture verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse three through five. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity into the obedience of Christ. I run into people all the time that are tormented by fear, and I'm talking about in the church. It's a given they're tormented outside of Christ. <laughs> That's a given. But in the church, people are tormented with resentment, bitterness, judgments, unforgiveness, vows, all kinds of things, accusations, condemnation. They're tormented. They have not yet learned to bring every thought to be subject to the obedience of Christ. They're not subduing their own thoughts. People that are led around by their emotions, by their affections, by their feelings, now listen, feelings are important. You have feelings and they're real. But here's the thing. Feelings should not be your thermostat, meaning setting the atmosphere, setting the attitude. Feelings should be more like a thermometer that they reveal what's inside so that you can deal with it. When feelings come and we say, well, I'm not going to acknowledge that feeling. Well, how about this? How about you acknowledge it? Lord, right now I'm feeling really angry. So God, I'm asking you, what is the root issue of behind that anger? Instead of going, I will not be angry. I will not be angry in Jesus' name. I will not be angry. I repent for being angry. I repent for being angry in Jesus' name. I repent for being angry. How many times do we do that and still feel like, man, the anger is still there? Why doesn't the name of Jesus work? Why doesn't the blood of Jesus work when I say it? It does work. But here's the bottom line. You cannot build on a wrong foundation. 
If the foundation is anger and hatred in your soul and you're trying to add Jesus on top of it, but you haven't confessed and repented of the anger that's there and broke the allegiance and the alliance that you have with anger and addressed the issue that made you angry and forgive the people extending around that anger, guess what? All you're doing is to slap Jesus like a Band-Aid on top of your anger. And then we think, well, it doesn't work for me. Maybe if I get the pastor to pray for me. Because they have authority. No, you have authority. I shouldn't say no, they don't. They do. <laughs> that, that wasn't a right fit. No, you shouldn't try to get other people to pray for you. Now listen, there is a place. When Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb, he's the resurrection and the life. When he called you out of darkness and out of the grave and out of hell, he called you out. He's the power that called you out. But what he said to everybody around Lazarus, he said, loose him. You loose him. So we are to loose each other of our grave clothes, but we are not the deliverer. We are only there to be an assistant to Jesus for whatever it is that he needs for us to do. Anoint them with oil. Okay, Lord, I'll anoint them. Lay hands on the sick. Yes, sir, I will do that. Cast out devils. Yes, sir, in Jesus' name, come out. But you are not the deliverer, you are not the healer, and you are not the power. You're just a vessel. So subdue. Now dominion, the right and the power to govern and control with sovereign authority, to rule. Given, stated, fixed, specific, specified, and established fact. It's an established fact. You have been given authority on this earth. And Jesus has given you authority to principalities and powers above the earth. And you have, you have power and authority over those things that creep on the earth. You have power and authority. It's time to take your place. He provided for our atonement all the way back in the book of Genesis. Interesting, when people fail, they sin, they fall short. They get so angry at themselves like it was a surprise to them or God that, that their failure or their sin was there. A surprise. Like, God, I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe that I have the capability of doing such a thing. I had no idea that was in me. And then they spent most of the rest of their waking hours condemning themselves, judging themselves, angry at themselves, um, talking about uh, how, what a failure they are, feeling so insignificant, so insecure, so jealous of others, and instead of dealing with that thing and going, you know what, God, from the beginning to the end, you knew me before I was formed in my mother's womb. You know my weaknesses. You know my character deficiencies. You know everything about me. So instead of me letting shame and blame linger and be my, my uh, companions for the rest of my life, I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to make the choice that what Jesus did on the cross was enough. I'm going to make the choice that in that area of my failure, you're going you're to set me free from that, and then you're going to use me to set other people free from that very thing. And you know, we all have seen the emblem on uh, ambulances and different things that the emblem of a, a pole with a serpent wrapped around it comes from the Bible. 
comes from Moses in the book of uh, all the, uh, excuse, uh, yeah, it, uh, thank you. Who's that? Where's Joe? Where's Joe when you need him? There he is, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> My brain is set on course for somewhere else. All right, so what happened is when the children of Israel were bit by a serpent, what does God tell Moses to do? He says, take a bronze serpent, lift it up on a pole, and everybody that looks at that thing's going to get healed. You say, what? I got to look at the very thing that bit me so I can be healed? That doesn't seem right. That seems like you're trying to rub my nose in it. That seems like you're trying to make me look at something that caused me shame, and I don't want to look at it, Lord, so I'm not going to look at it. And so I choose not to look at where I failed because I can't afford to feel like a failure. I already feel like a failure. Instead of saying, God, I will look at this thing square in the eye and I will own it and I will declare that its power will be broken in the name of Jesus. That is not my inheritance. I've not been called to walk like that. But whatever the root issue in my soul that set me up so that I am subject to that, I want to know what that is. I want revelation from the word. I want by the Holy Spirit, speak to me, Lord. Whatever's in my past, whatever's in my family's past, whatever it is that I've opened a door, I'm asking you to reveal what it is, Lord, because I want to be healed in Jesus' name. I don't want to keep going around and around this mountain and keep failing and falling into the same areas. So God has provided an atonement. Adam, meaning mankind, Hadam, was to subdue and take dominion with the authority that God had given him to rule creation. Genesis 2. I'm going to read verse 9 through 12 and 15 through 17. Genesis 2. 9 through 12 and 15 through 17. And out of the ground, the Lord God should be easy to find. It's in the very beginning of the book. <laughs> and out of the ground, the Lord made every tree to grow that is pleasant to, to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one with which skirts the whole land of Halva, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and the onyx stone are there. And verse 15 and 17 says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So to tend means to lead or be directed in a particular direction. Keep, to hold or retain in one's possession. Hold as one's own. So when my kids were little, I'll never forget, we had our beach blankets spread out at the beach. We were all settled. And when you got three kids and you're at the beach, that's a lot of work. So we're all settled and we're having a great time. And this rowdy bunch of young people who I love, I love young people, came and sat pretty close to us. And then they started popping beers. And then they started getting really vulgar. You know, it became a little disruptive. And I'm like, you know what? I, got, I was here first. And me and my kids, we ain't moving. So I used that as an opportunity to teach Bethany. Actually, I remember talking to Bethany. I said, Bethany, my father owns this beach, and I'm not moving. She goes, I didn't know Grandpa owned the beach. I said, no, 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 not that father. My heavenly father. And you know what? Here's the bottom line. I, I'm just going to pray, and we're going to see what happens. 
and I prayed. I prayed blessing on them. You never pray cursing. Even in our city where there's uh, witchcraft stores or there's those kind of things that you know shouldn't be <laughs> available for people, um, I don't go by and curse that and curse this. I, I do, but first I bless them. I say, Lord, that's a soul that needs revelation of Jesus Christ. That's a human being behind that storefront that needs salvation. That's a person that needs your love and needs your forgiveness. And so, Father, I pray salvation and blessing upon them. And I curse the works of darkness that they promote. So we do curse darkness, but we bless the people. And so I bless these young people, and I just said, Lord, I just ask in the name of Jesus that you would move them to another part of the beach so that my children are not disturbed by this spiritual dynamic. And within moments, they packed up and left. And Bethany was like, wow, it worked. And now listen, I'm not saying every time you pray that, sometimes you better get your blanket and move because God wants you to move. I, I can't tell you that something is always going to work the same way always for everybody because listen, the church was praying for John the Baptist and he lost his head, but they prayed for Paul and Silas and they walked out of jail. Okay, so don't ask me to explain the sovereign Lord. I'm just telling you what's written in the book, okay? But you got to take your place and your sovereign authority to subdue and to rule and to tend and to keep because God is looking for people that will steward and care for what he has created. All right, to go on in the garden was a tree of life, the river, gold, delium, onyx. There was life, freedom, commerce, healing, and authority. All of it was given to us, but we chose to eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. What is up with us? And I'm, I'm not blaming Adam or his wife. I'm saying human beings. What is up with us that we want the very thing that we know isn't good for us? Because we all participate in something that's not good for us. We all do. Sitting in front of the uh, computer too long and not exercising our body, that's not good for us. We know what we need to do. We don't do it. We need a good old swift kick in the britches. And God has his way of doing so. All right. God provided for man's sin, and it was present in the garden before man was created. The tree of life speaks of Christ, who is our life, nailed to a wooden cross. Jesus died for the sin of mankind. Amazing. On the tree of life. Jesus gave his life on a tree for us. Gold speaks of divinity, the deity of Jesus Christ. It typifies the divine glory of the Lord. He is the Son of God, and he is God the Son. Delium is a pearl not produced from an oyster. It's a kind of pearl produced from a tree's secretion when it's cut. The resin of the tree or the sap, the tree's life secretion, congeals into a gum, and this gum is considered as a transparent pearl, a pearl produced by plant life. Jesus is the pearl of great price. His life's blood was secreted for us. The resin of, of delium tree is used in perfume and incense and traditional medicine, reminding us of Christ's qualities. He's the fragrant lily of the valley. He's the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek and is the balm of Gilead, and he is our great physician. Because delium oil resembles frankincense and is sometimes added to myrrh for the above uses, it, the appearance of it in the garden foreshadows the gifts that the Magi brought to Jesus, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
Amazing how Old and New Testament are so tied in if we will just take the time to study. The onyx stone is the most precious stone of the first stone mentioned in the Bible. It has stripes of minerals and it alters in colors resembling agate. These stripes are often in shades, listen, red, black, and white, representing Christ's red shed blood that washes away our black, dark sin and makes us white as snow. Perfection, purity, holiness, and righteousness. Unbelievable. Like gold, onyx was used to glorify God in the priestly ephod, or breastplate. Many scripture verses on that, take the time and look it up. But it's also in the foundation of the city of heaven, onyx. Before God expelled Lucifer from heaven for his sin of pride, onyx and gold were included in the precious materials covering the anointed cherub. God has blessed our planet with beautiful treasures, but his truth and wisdom is priceless, worth more than gold, delium, and onyx found in the garden. May we hold fast to his truth that our sins demand his judgment, but his amazing grace has reconciled us to himself. Onyx also is the 11th stone on the breastplate of the high priest ephod, which represents the tribe of Joseph. Joseph's sufferings also symbolize the believers and the church. Since the beginning of time, Christians have been persecuted by Satan. The onyx stone speaks of deliverance. I bet you never saw all that in the first chapter of the book of Genesis, first and second chapter. So God is trying to bring us back into order. He is the alpha and omega. He has order, and when his order is honored, there is protection, provision, and power. When we're out of order is where we get in trouble. There was a situation in our city, a couple that was a part of most everything that I was doing when, with city outreaches. And this couple, even though they were beautiful believers, they loved God, they attended the same church I was attending, I, I loved them like brothers and sisters in Christ, there was always something in my relationship with them that was a little off. And I couldn't put my finger on it. And so what happened is, um, one day they were going to do an outreach in their uh, venue of what they were feeling that God called them to do. And they invited me to come and, and be a part of it. And in my mind, I thought, well, they're always a part of what I'm doing. I should really go and support what they're doing. But I just didn't feel right about it. You ever done stuff that you just don't feel right about, but you feel like you're obligated or you really kind of should? Or maybe somebody will look at you as being, you know, unkind or unfriendly or you're unsupportive or whatever. And so I pushed past all those feelings and I went to go put my hand on the doorknob to turn the doorknob to walk into this place and I heard loud and clear, you walk through that door and you're out from underneath my apostolic authority. I was like, I don't even understand that language. <laughs> loud and clear, not in my ear, in my heart. And I knew, I took my hand off that doorknob and I was like, I ain't going in there. I don't care what they have to say about me. I'm not going in there. And later on, I studied it out. The great apostle is Jesus Christ. We are under his covenant, covering. And when he tells us not to be somewhere and not to do something, he doesn't have to give you 10 reasons why. You just need to obey. Now, obedience is first and understanding may follow. And that's exactly what it did in my case. Obedience happened, I didn't go in, and understanding followed. I won't go into all the details, it doesn't matter. Um, but the bottom line is, I was learning to be in order. 
Disciples of Christ must pursue a life of purity and godly order. There is biblical order to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's biblical order. All healing and deliverance ministry must begin with the first order of business, and that is Jesus Christ is Lord. If you do not establish his lordship in your life, you will not walk in authority and power. Jesus gives us the power and authority he mentions in many scripture verses. I've chosen a few. You want to turn to Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. And while you're there, you can flip to Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20. He gives us power and authority. How many times when someone comes for prayer and they want someone else to pray with their faith and their authority, but they don't use their own. The ministry of He Cares For Me teaches Christians to use their own authority to pray with the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God for their own life. Because it's time we grow up. And it's time we practice the principles that have been laid out for us to walk a victorious life. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and more abundant. How many people do you know? Can you count on one hand? Or maybe you don't need a whole hand of people that are walking in the abundant life. And I don't mean it's perfect by any means. Abundance means this. Peace, joy, righteousness, and the Holy Ghost. Peace, joy, and righteousness. That is our inheritance. If we're not walking in that, no matter what circumstance that we're facing then we're not walking in the abundant life that Jesus died to give us. He goes on to say in John 10, 10, and the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy. He is very busy in the body of Christ to rob, kill, and destroy Christians from their inheritance and from knowing the place that they've been called. So Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He gave us all power and authority. So let me give you an example. I'm driving down the road in a car. This happened to me many years ago. And I'm thinking thoughts of driving right off into a ditch and hit a tree and hope that I died. Why? Because I was in a very painful, difficult situation and I saw no way out. Again, I can't imagine that everyone in this room at some point in time has not had a thought about suicide. And here's the thing, when those thoughts come to you, it's an indication you feel hopeless. You feel helpless. You feel that there's no answer. There's no solution. There's no way out. And you think that dying is the way out. We see a wave of death culture happening in our generation because it has become very acceptable to kill yourself. Why? Because as a nation, it's very acceptable to kill the unborn. It's very acceptable to kill the elderly. It's very acceptable. Because after all, 
What is human life? What does it matter? It's mine. The life is mine. I can do what I want with my life. Really? You're not the creator of life. You've been blessed and given life. And when we despise life because we're in a difficult situation or we're angry about something and we let that anger turn our hearts so dark that we just don't want to live anymore. And listen, I know because as I was driving down the road, I was actually a youth pastor at the time, loving God with my whole heart in ministry. And I'm thinking about driving off and thinking and imagining that the people that caused me such pain would stand over my casket and they'd actually feel bad. Crazy. That's my thought. But I'm learning, I was learning at that time to take my thoughts captive. And so what I said was, in the name of Jesus Christ, that is not a thought from my father. I don't receive it. I reject it. I command it to go back where it came from. It doesn't belong to me and you can't have me. I declare life over me. I will not think such thoughts. My mind belongs to Christ. I have the mind of Christ and I will not give myself to such thoughts in the name of Jesus. I command you to go in Jesus name. See, that's what we have to do with our thoughts. You have to bring your thoughts captive. The next is I want to share this with you is that authority. You can be in authority without authority. That's tricky. Mark chapter one, verse 22. Mark chapter 1, verse 22, and while you're there, I was going to give you another verse in Mark, but I'm going to skip it. I'm going to go to 2 Timothy 4. You can be in authority without the power of walking in authority. Mark chapter 1, 22, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. The scribes were in authority. But they didn't have spiritual authority. They were in a position of authority, but they didn't have authority. At different times in my life, I've been uh, in church circumstances and situations where people would be put in a position of authority, but have no power of authority. And it's very difficult once you understand the difference when you're in a setting or in an environment or in a place and you recognize that there's no true spiritual authority here. Oh, there's people in authority. They got positions of authority, but they don't walk in spiritual authority. And when you become attuned and uh, aware of that, you will not put yourself in situations that are out of order. You will begin to recognize who really spiritually carries the authority in a church or in a setting. And you will be able to submit to that authority because you trust it is a spiritual authority from above. But when you are in a situation and there is someone in authority, but they don't have authority from Jesus because they're not walking in order, you don't have to submit to that. You don't have to bow down to that. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 through 4. It says, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. In the last days, there's going to be churches and multitudes of Christians that will run to false truth. Beware and be wise. Authority comes from being under authority. 
This is why anytime that we minister deliverance, now listen, I, I get it. I get it that we're out on the street and God moves in our heart and there's an opportunity to bring deliverance. I get that. I get it. I have experiences like that. I've got testimonies like that. I'm training Christians how to minister to believers and minister to those that are in the house of the Lord, okay? I, I think it's, D, I don't even know what time I need to end by. Sorry, I should have asked you. Oh, 10 more minutes, all right. Then I'm gonna skip some of the stories, um, but I'm gonna go right to this, which is very important. In the church of Jesus Christ, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody that has said a sinner's prayer have actually had a true conversion. If there is no fruit, and I'm not talking about that they don't make a mistake. We make mistakes, we have shortcomings, we have deficits, we're growing and we're learning. There's grace for that. But I'm saying if there's no evidence and fruit in their life of a hunger for the word of God, for prayer, then we have to seriously wonder. So the first thing that we do when we're ministering to anybody, and this happens at our Healing Waters weekends, it happens at our two-hour minute, two ministry appointments, and it happens at the altar. We make sure that the person has declared Jesus Christ as Lord. So I'm asking for the overhead team to put up our Psalm 23. Now, you probably never have looked at Psalm 23 as a way to lead people to the Lord, but this is how God has led us, so I'm going to lead you in it. In the black, I'm going to say the part that's in the black, and in the red is the response of those of you, okay? So this is what I, we start with. The Lord is my shepherd. So I'm going to read the red with you going forward. I think it'll bring them a little bit more unison. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Usually I'm leading one person at a time. That's why. All right. I shall not want. I surrender and submit my wants of flesh, the desires of my heart. I make room for you to give me the desires of your heart. He makes me lie down in green pastures as I choose to lie down and rest in your promises as I rest, you will reproduce your own nature in me. He leads me beside still waters. I willingly yield to you. Lead me to drink from your healing waters, your word. He restores my soul. You alone make me whole. Renew my mind. Heal my heart. Rebuild the waste places and restore all that was stolen. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Your ways are righteous as I yield to your leading. By your grace, you will keep me on the right path. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I invite you, Lord, to walk me through the valley of the shadows of my soul. I trust you to bring me all the way through to the other side of the pain, blame, and shame into healing, peace, and joy. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your perfect love dispels all my fears. 
Fear cannot coexist where there is love. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I accept your rod of discipline and correction as you draw me near with your staff to comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You may not deliver me out of situations, but you always promise to deliver me in the midst of them. I will learn to rule and reign with you in the presence of my enemies. Use me, Lord, to display your power. You love to celebrate your victory in me with a parade like you did for Mordecai in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. You are the healing oil that breaks the bondage of the enemy. The anointing makes my heart glad with joy. Your healing oil runs over my head, runs into my heart, and runs out of my mouth to give life to others. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Your thoughts toward me, it's not up there. Praise the Lord. Well, then I will continue with it, all right? I will read and you can, you can receive it. Your thoughts toward me are for good and not for evil. I have a future and a hope. If I remain in your presence, if I cling to Christ, if I abide in your word, then I am blessed and highly favored. Bad things may happen in life, but God is good all the time. It's your nature. And the last one is, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here on this earth, I will glorify and honor you in my body, which is the house of the Lord. I will magnify you in your house, the church. You have prepared a house, a mansion for me in heaven, where I will live forever with you. So by faith, we rule. Because if you prayed those, and I'm sure at this moment, maybe some of you need time to go over it to really assimilate it in your own heart. But if you prayed that, and by faith, you have accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for you, you are saved. You are a son and daughter of the Most High. When we don't rule over the enemy with God's authority, we will be overruled and dominated by the lies of the enemy. It's amazing because Jesus said to the centurion, I'll, I'll paraphrase it from Matthew 8, the centurion came to Jesus who was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. He did not have, he was not raised in the Torah and understanding the word. And so he comes to Jesus as a Gentile and he says, my servant is sick. And he said, Jesus said to him, let me come to your house and I'll heal him. And the, and the soldier said, no, don't come to my house. He said, I'm a man in authority and I understand authority. All you need to do is speak the word and it shall be. And Jesus said, I have not seen such faith in all of Israel. How can it be the church doesn't have faith in the word of God, in the blood of the lamb, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, and yet there are people who don't know what we know, and they have more faith that God is able to save, heal, and deliver. It's interesting what, a, what an incredible difficulty the church is in in grasping a hold of the things that are ours. So this man, he sent his word, and it says, within a very short time, within the hour, the man was healed. So we're going to close out with this, with communion. And this is what you need to know. When Jesus met with his disciples, he met with his disciples, and here's the bottom line. Not one of them, except for John the Beloved, stood with him at the cross, not one. How is it we can be at the table of the blood and the, 
and the bread of our Lord Jesus Christ, how can we come to the table and partake but not stand with him in the hour of testing? There's a great testing that's coming upon the world. And not everyone in the, the analogy of the five wise and the five foolish virgins. Five were wise and it filled their lamp with oil. Five were foolish. We do not know unless we're tested beforehand whether or not we will stand in the hour of testing that's coming upon the earth. Will we stand with Jesus through it all? And if I die, I die like Esther said? Or will we cave in and be afraid and run? Will we deny him in that moment? You don't know what's in your heart. I don't know what's in my heart. The Bible says, who can know the heart? It's deceitfully wicked. Only the Lord knows the heart. But you know what? Let him fillet you. Let him open it up and show you. And I remember a time in my life when I said, God, I have nothing beautiful to give you. All I have is my brokenness. All I have is a mess that's in my life. I don't have anything beautiful to give you. And Jesus said, give it to me. It's beautiful to me. It's a sacrifice. And so I sacrificed that mess. I sacrificed those places of brokenness before the Lord. And then I come to the table of the Lord asking, may this blood wash me and cleanse me. And may as I partake of your body, the bread, may I be healed from the infirmity, not only of my physical body, but of my soul, of my mind. The marriage supper of the Lamb will be those that have been washed and clothed in white garments. He's coming back for a bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. It's time for us to be healed. And listen, I'm not saying it's a one-time show or a one-time whack or a one-time deal. It is a process. It's a journey. But we've got to begin it and stay on it. And as the Lord brings us to that place, the Bible says this in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, examine yourself. Examine yourself, because this is what Paul writes, and I'm ending with this, and we're going to close with communion. And then we're going to open up the altars from prayer. And here's the deal, guys. You don't come for prayer going, I have no idea what I need. The altar is not the time for that. This morning's altar is the time for you to say, you know what, during the message, God whoop, pulled something right up in front of my face. And I can't, I, I need help getting through it. Holy Spirit revealed something to me and I need help getting through it. It's what the Holy Spirit already revealed to you. Listen, I'm not here to pull hen's teeth. If you know hens don't have any teeth. I'm not here to try to pull you through the eye of the needle and to get you healed. That's not my job. I am only a servant that helps to facilitate what the Holy Spirit is already doing in you. I am not going to pull it up and out of you. Only the Holy Spirit can. So those of you this morning that want to come for prayer, we're going to have five uh, uh, people up here, five teams up here praying. And we're going to coach you through it in the model that is going to bring you through it quickly. You don't need to come and talk about all your mess. Nobody wants to hear it. You're just going to come and say what God showed you, and then we're going to lead you through it. Very simple and very effective. So this is what Paul writes, and I know we all have our communion cups, and I'm going to need help because I can't open mine with a <laughs> microphone, and I want to read this to you. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. I want to start with verse 27 as you're opening your cup. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. 
but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Examining yourself comes before you partake. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner drinks judgment to himself, not discerning, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Many people are so petrified of having to look. We have to look at the serpent that bit us. We have to look at the thing that we hate. You don't have to stay there. You're just passing through. In the Christmas Carol movie, it's amazing. The first thing that happens to that grouchy, crotchety old man is the ghost from Christmas past, we'll call it the Holy Ghost, brings him back. And he has to look at something that broke his heart when he was a young man. There are things that have broken your heart, even in your childhood. And I want to tell you something. A baby in the womb doesn't understand, doesn't see, and doesn't hear, but assimilates love and assimilates rejection. It's imparted to them in the womb. The only one that's in that womb that knows that is the Lord himself because he was there knitting you together. God wants to heal us. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Heavenly Father, I believe that the body and the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for me. I welcome Holy Spirit. Examine my heart. Pull back the veil. No matter how hard, no matter how deep, I'm willing. I want to be washed and cleansed. Jesus took the bread and when he had taken it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Do it in remembrance of me. Go ahead and break the bread. Take the bread. He took the cup. He said that this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And I don't know if you've seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, but I thank God that it was made so that we could actually have some kind of picture of and that we could understand a, a small a magnitude of the suffering of our Lord. That's what he did for us. He took it all. He took all the punishment that humanity deserved and he bore it in his body and every ounce of blood that was shed was for our sin. The stripes on his back were for our healing. The crown of thorns on his head was for mental torment. Multitudes of people are mentally tormented because they have not applied the precious blood of the lamb and the sacrifice on the cross over their mind. So many are brokenhearted because they've not applied the precious blood of the lamb that was shed for a broken heart. So Father, I pray today that as we drink this cup, 
that Lord, that we will experience the cleansing power of the blood over the mind and the heart, the soul, the body. Cleanse us, Lord, and make us ready for your coming. In Jesus' name. Well, I think we're going to